What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Modern Guilt. It is a grey, gloomy Tuesday morning, 8 a.m. in Brisbane, 11 a.m. in Christchurch, New Zealand. How's the weather over there, man? Um, yeah, no, it's good, man. It's fine. Uh, the yeah. wind's out of my sails. Um, if anybody else is in the markets right now, then the wind will also is. be out of yours. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everybody got drunked up. I was just going to say, not a lot of wind to be found in general, really. No. Um, yeah, everybody was expecting um, Biden to blow out a, a big, strong... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. I, I did actually see, though, that the bill hasn't been signed yet. Ah. Okay. So it, it, it passed Congress, um, and but, yeah, still needs to actually pass over Biden's desk. Ooh. Receive his signature, as they say. For so, context... Uh, we're talking about the stimulus bill, which... 1.9 trillion. 1.9 trillion. Everybody was hoping was going to um, <clears throat> save us from our uh, selling off of what's probably like <laughs> a justified sell-off of irrational exuberance over the last year. Um, yep. There's this thing that keeps coming into my head where I'm just like, I remember browsing, uh, realistically, it was Wall Street Bets, and someone was like, no matter what, just buy tech calls. Oh, you think you've got a good uh, idea and value? Just buy tech calls. Oh, you've got student <laughs> loans to pay off? Just buy tech calls. Oh, your fucking girlfriend's cheating on you? Just buy tech calls. And like that is like permanently fucking burned into my brain. Like it's been branded there. And oh, now I'm whenever sorry I that see happens this, to you. oh, it's all good. I just see the sell off, and I'm just like, yeah, this is just buy tech calls. No, <laughs> yeah, this is this is what we get. This is uh, divine retribution for our. Um, for our lunacy and the mm -hmm. crimes that we've committed for buying tech yeah. calls. <laughs> no, uh, I, I get it. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm remaining mildly optimistic because I feel like I've managed to sort of mostly successfully rotate and I'm now just like kind of waiting for my tech bleeding to stop and, and like get making like sort of small nice gains on my new shit, which is like, I don't know, okay, I suppose. Anyway. We are going to be recording a second episode today, which will be about stocks, so we can shut up about it for now. For those of you listening who don't care about stocks, which is probably a good portion of you. But before we get into the, the body of this episode, we should say that um, if you want to listen to our episodes, which are strictly stock-centric, you can go to Patreon forward slash Modern Guilt and subscribe for five dollars a month. Um, we do episodes where we dive into stocks, do some market research, whatnot, um, mm. and discuss whether or not we think certain stocks are sells or buys or holds or or whatever else. I don't. That's there are literally no other options. Personally, this is whether or not we're actually putting money into the game or not, um, because we can't tell you what to do. We can only say yes. what we're doing. Yeah, that's correct. So anyway, so I was briefly mentioning to Damon just before we started recording that upon the recommendation of one of my friends and colleagues, Patty, shout out Patty, last night I checked out this YouTube channel called Soft White Underbelly and uh, it uh, triggered a spiral into a small existential crisis for me. Um, this is a really great YouTube channel about, well not about, but consisting of interviews conducted by uh, the proprietor of the channel. They're like long form, one-on-one, -on -one, sort of like open-ended interviews with uh, people who in one way or another are destitute or 
live on the fringes of society or have experienced an unusual amount of suffering in their short lives compared to the most of us. Um, so for example, there are long form interviews with like hackers or uh, pimps or heroin addicts. And this guy pays these people like a small amount of money to, to agree to be filmed and talk. And there's this really bizarre effect that these interviews have where because there's like a camera on people and actually this is the same thing has happened to me when I've done one podcast in particular the sort of like therapeutic energy kicks in and it becomes sort of like a confessional thing or a, a stream of conscience because often there are very few opportunities in life where someone explicitly says to you that they want you to dump all of your baggage on them and they're literally asking you to do it and I think most people were like weirdly equipped to dump their baggage at a moment's notice because most of us walk around wanting it really badly. What do you mean, sorry? Do you mean like, wait, what do you mean by dump dump your baggage? Do you mean just sort of like give your whole, here's my life story? Yeah, yeah, or um, unload some of your pain, basically is what I mean. Like I think most people walk around with a huge emotional burden on them that derives from one thing or another. And we live in a society where we're barely ever offered an opportunity to sort of exercise our demons or, or let go of some of that burden. Um, so I think when somebody kind of gives you the opportunity to uh, explicitly or not, I think most people don't realize how ready they are to do it. And these interviews are like a really interesting example. So like these, these people whose lives have essentially just been one continuous uh, stretch of suffering kind of get the chance to just talk about themselves because no one ever asks, you know. One of these dudes was this guy called Riley who was a 26-year-old heroin addict living uh, around Skid Row in LA. And for those who don't know, uh, we can post a link to uh, maybe an article or some some images of Skid Row, which is essentially like the the homeless capital in, in LA. Um, it's it's pretty astonishing and disturbing when you when you see that you know thousands of people are living congregated and in these mm. slum-like conditions in one of the most affluent cities in the world. But anyway, um, these interviews are a really great study of of human pain, um, and I would recommend someone or all of the listeners go and check these out. They're really powerful. But anyway, this guy Riley. Um, he was a heroin addict who had been in and out of treatment 15 times and was describing like the, the weight of his addiction and how it overrides everything else in his life and all of his other needs and wants. And you could tell that he was a really smart, like sort of, mm, what's the word? I don't want to say sophisticated, but emotionally developed person. He was by no means an idiot. He was articulate and he was really self-aware. Um, and it was really fascinating to hear him describe the way that heroin has become his his number one priority and that he had destroyed his relationship with his son and his son's mother and stolen from his own family and her family and committed fraud and a string of crimes to continue feeding his addiction because heroin was the only thing that ever made him feel like he was in the place he needed to be which uh, is something that i've often thought about myself because with heroin mm, i haven't tried heroin but what i mean is um, that with certain substances, even alcohol, I finally feel as though I'm, I've been like corrected or like I've, I've thought a lot in my day-to-day -day life that I don't, I never feel like I'm where I need to be or I'm, or I'm the way I need to be. 
Like mm. personally, I do, everything just feels off to an extent, and I can't explain that. I don't. There's no justification for it. But I really related to him being able to say, like, as soon as he had his first hit of heroin, he just felt like he was like fucking home, or like his whole life had changed for the best. Yeah. Even though it hadn't. Um, and now everything he does is to get back to that point. Um, and anyway, you should check it out. Alright, <laughs> there um, we go. <laughs> it's some gnarly shit. Yeah, I wonder how much of that, because that's pretty pretty standard. Um, I, I know a lot of people like to say that it's not, or that there's this sort of like uh, normal state of being. But, I, you know, we've talked about this on the pod before. I think a lot of people are really dissatisfied, though. You know, mm-hmm. and, and this expectation that there's this like normal, um, air quotes, normal uh, state that everybody's in, and they're all happy and satisfied and shit. I fucking met no one other than like maybe like two or three people in that state, you know, and even that it's, it's a very much a passing thing. It's not, not like a baseline. Everything's all good. Mm -hmm. I I don't Yeah, I mean like, why do you think people drink every week? Yeah. Or they're just kind of perpetually dissatisfied. You know, there's that classic thing where people are like, Oh, I had everything. I had a wife and kids and a good job and I'm still sad. I didn't know why it's like, cause your life sucks. It's yeah, like, none of that's fucking good. <laughs> like, why would you think that would make you happy? <laughs> you know, it's like, well, like, I don't know. Something I find really interesting is when people, people who drink or do drugs every weekend, and I'm, but I'm also absolutely not saying that I have a problem with this because I've been that person. Um, and in fact, I encourage people to do that if that's what they want to do. But who say like, yeah, like I'm really happy with my life. Like, I just drink and do drugs because they're because it's fun and it's like hmm so like what you're saying is that like you need to drink and do drugs and you've told yourself that you do it because you're fun and you believe your lie strongly enough that now you tell everybody else the same thing (laughs) like pretty interesting yeah yeah but on the on the uh flip side of that like there's people that don't drink or take drugs every weekend and Mm -hmm. they still hate their lives you know just because i i think like there's a lot of dissatisfaction and and just day-to-day life kind of sucks in general like because we've made like a really shitty um environment overall you know what mm-hmm. i mean like like it's just not yeah. satisfying a lot of things that uh that you're pushed towards aren't very satisfying um you know and i can fully understand people thinking that there's this state of normality that everybody's trying to work towards or contentedness or whatever um but i think like the the baseline of most people is more likely to be like dissatisfied constantly with brief mm. periods of satisfaction. Um, anyway, that's an aside. What I was so, interested, yeah, go on. Oh, I, I just wanted to ask you something actually. So like, I, I don't want to disclose too much on the podcast, on the record, but I just realized like, I haven't actually asked you. It's funny the way that like, as, as friends, there are some things that we bring up on the podcast that just sort of naturally arise when we're doing this for like public consumption yeah. that, for some reason, we just never actually get around to talking about as like people. No, it's okay. Um, yeah, but like you recently <laughs> encountered some life-changing circumstances. Yeah. Um, and and I mean, I I did also to a far lesser extent. But like yeah. you are in a position now where, you know, a lot of what most people think they want, you have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and, you, and, uh, and listeners can dream whatever the fuck they think that means. Yeah. But, okay. Look. So what I'm what I wanted to ask though is like, yeah. have you found that it is ultimately fruitless? Yeah, it is 100. Uh, my friend actually asked me this the other day. We were out for a surf 
shout out Doris. Um, and he's like, oh, how do you feel? And I was like, the same, normal. If, if anything, slightly depressed. Uh, and I, oh, that's it? Question mark? Kind of way? I was like, oh, mm. that's a little disappointing. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, what right. are you saying? Like these goals that we all work towards, whether it's, you know, being satisfied um, in, in the way that people dream they could be uh, with access to material shit um, is incredibly dissatisfying. I mean, I'd always sort of said to myself and said to people around me that, you know, um, if my life changed in, in uh, that way, I would not change because I fundamentally don't want anything, which is something I've gone on the record on this podcast is saying as well. But it's fucking true, man. Like a hundred percent. You sort of, you're left, well, I mean, personally just left with this sort of like weird emptiness of mm. like, well, now what? You know, like that a lot of things that I was originally going to do uh, were to get myself to this level. And now that I'm here, it's just kind of like, all right. Um, there's a really good Sorry. movie done by Sophia Coppola, Sophia Copley, uh, I think, the daughter of the guy that did the grand, uh, the Godfather. I think. Fucking let yeah, me fact okay. check that. I don't want to get that wrong. Uh, uh, Coppola. I wasn't gonna look. Coppola. Coppola. Yeah, I don't want to really lose yeah. my uh, my art hosties. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Francis Ford Coppola, who did ah the Godfather and Apocalypse Now, right? So. She did this movie about this like famous um, director that gets stuck in uh, this hotel room and he has like, you know, huge success and wealth. It's called Somewhere. It's quite good. I really enjoyed it. You should check it out. Yeah, um, right. I, I'm looking at it right now. Um, yeah. And it, it's just kind of like this guy that has everything, but is ultimately like, like just totally devoid of meaning and his life is empty. Um it's just classic scene in it. I think it's like at the start where he's just sitting there and he has like, he's just sort of like dosing off. And I think like the camera pans around and there's the stripper who's like riding him. And he's just like so ambivalent about the entire thing that he's just like falling asleep. Um, and luckily, I mean, we've talked so much about different kinds of philosophy and, and everything that that satisfaction of want is like the worst thing for a lot of people. Because it's just, it's ruinous. Because if you work your entire life to get to this point where you have sudden abundance um, and you realize how, like, buying more widgets isn't going to fucking do anything for your baseline of happiness and then outside of that, you're just kind of, like, existing. It's like, well, what's the point? And, and that's how I feel about a lot of people. who just sort of, like, if you're not working on something you fundamentally find important and meaningful and has impact and it's a larger mission than just enriching yourself in some way, um, you're going to get, bru- I I don't know, but I would suspect that you might get brutally disappointed. You don't want to set yourself up for that, you know, because that's, it's a fucking shitty place to be. Like just being like, oh, well, this is all fucking shit. It sucks. Um, yeah. Anyway, does mm-hmm. that answer the, <laughs> the Yeah, question? yeah, it does. Um, but it, it makes me wonder uh, what would have to be different in your opinion well, for you to feel otherwise. The best things and best points of my own existence um, have always been like working on a big project, you know, like <clears throat> working on something that really means something to you. Uh, and there was a line in this documentary I watched where these people in Gloryvale, which is, you know, widely considered to be New Zealand's big cult, um, right. sort of like our Waco or, or whatever. But in reality, it might, my take on it is it just seems to be like a bunch of Christians living over in this isolated area in the South Island, you know, just kind of like mulling around um they did a documentary where they went in there and um 
the, the interviewer was asking this young chap, um, you know, what he strives for and whether he wants to, you know, go to uni and get a job and go out there and, and achieve and stuff. And his response is like as branded in my mind as just by tech calls. It's just like, <laughs> he's like, I'm sad. I, I don't desire material outcomes from this world, but I desire to be the best husband and best member of my community that I possibly can be. And I was like, mm. fucking get fucked like that. Not to him, to the fucking. That's yeah, that's too <laughs> real. Oh, it's just, it's perfect. Right. It's like the, the it's what everyone could hope to have. He's, he's that he man is it. complete. He's like, you know, he's working to, to serve his God, his community and his family. I just think mm. if you can hit that level, then you're set. That's that's what everyone should aspire to. And you look, I don't care if you're religious or not. You can replace religion with serve, you know, your fucking species or serve the plight of the um, pygmies in uh, the Congo, which is what that famous MMA dude does. Yeah, yeah. He's on um, Joe Rogan. About the guy that, yeah, the guy that yeah. is always in the Joe Rogan ads. What is this fucking name? That's I don't know, but he's constantly showing on it on the podcast. He's like, that... fight for the forgotten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, <laughs> um, look, if that's your calling, then like, mm. you know, I, I think um, people strive for mission over, but you know, we, we get advertised differently. So anyway, uh, <laughs> that's my two cents on the whole thing, which makes me wonder, yeah. you know, like it, it, it makes me feel uh, nervous for a lot of the people that think that there's this baseline of happiness that you can sort of get to, or there's this, um, and I, I fucking probably super ignorant. Maybe there is, but I've, I've never encountered it. You know, I've never seen people who seem to have this level. Like, like, I don't think the standard normie exists. I think that's kind of like a, like a meme that's just on the internet. I think there's people that come across as normies, but, um, in reality, they're probably just not very open to, discussing how dissatisfied they are and yeah okay so they're not fucking. or they um yeah. or they don't sort of i think in a lot of instances sort of possess for lack of a better term like the intellectual framework to discuss it yeah. like because i think if you're not exposed to a lot of the ideas that you would typically use to kind of like situate yourself on a spectrum of happiness or awareness or however you want to descri describe your state, then it's really hard to actually like describe or contextualize yourself. Mm. Yeah. It's like, particularly I think in a world where people are less and less religious. So we have no tether to any sort of spirituality or like uh, philosophical conduits or, or whatever. Like I hate to revert back to something that I kind of probably say too much on the podcast, but I think the, the, the West is now probably spiritually dead mm. or we're like uh in our in our very very old age waiting to die um in terms of like our kind of spiritual and cultural like i don't know um zeitgeist you sold it um, you sold it all for fucking netflix <laughs> yeah i mean we we largely did unless of course yeah. you are lucky enough to be listening to modern guilt um, yeah. which is we're quickly becoming the, the beacon for online spirituality. <laughs> yeah. oh, well, I mean, I, I fully think it's really important. I think you have to have something that you're working towards. I think that's like personally, um, you know, and from what I've seen, like the most important thing is that you have mm. like a community in this. It's just like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? It's just this sort of yeah, like, for sure. you take care of your base bullshit and then you take care of the other uh, community bullshit. And then you've got to take care of your existential bullshit. But 
um, if there's one thing that's consistent, it's bullshit, and you're always gonna have to be dealing with it. And like Ray Dalio had a, a really good whole little um, shitty uh, YouTube video that you can watch on it, um, and his whole thing is talking about like peaks and troughs and you're always just kind of like climbing a mountain achieving some goal and then looking for the next thing but it's a cycle it's a you're constantly on this cycle you know so if you get to the fact where you think that you know you're going to be made by having um you know a relationship and financial security and all this other shit uh fuck i would not be surprised if you are not happy and that happens Mm. that is like the least surprising thing because it's just like well now what what do you do just run out the clock you know just fucking sit there and just be like all right yeah exactly fill in the time right yeah 60 more years of this bullshit and then then i'm done fuck that i (laughs) i find it really interesting that like what ray ray dalio talks about like you know always climb the next mountain or he says something similar to that what a lot of i think western spiritual tradition is built on and the idea of like serving your community for example um is really like distinctly different at least the way I see it to like Eastern philosophies and religious practice where like there's a lot more emphasis on kind of like the acceptance of and I, I guess your your state of being um, and there's almost like more emphasis on just nothingness hmm. um, like the practice of like you know mindful meditation and um, studying your own consciousness and and stuff like that and I wonder I wonder if those two can be reconciled in a way I, I think actually I'm sort of answering my own question here. I think maybe the the importance of of climbing the next hill or getting over the next hurdle or caring for your community in the Western tradition is that it allows you to focus solely on the task at hand, which is sort of like synonymous with focusing on yourself. Like you, <clears throat> if you can if you can concentrate only on the task and ignore the things that are like external or all the, all the other bullshit. And yeah. that's sort of, you get into what, like I think psychologists describe as like flow state, yeah. which is probably like what in the West we kind of would call, yeah, deep meditation. Well, did you ever see Jiro Dreams of Sushi? I'm sure I've talked about it. No, not yet. I need right. to fucking watch it. That's like, like the epitome of existence in my eyes, you know? Yeah. Like this one guy's entire mission is to craft the perfect piece of sushi. And he's just mm. like, by like working towards this task, he's kind of like hit every level of of enlightenment that I could think. Like self mastery. Yeah. Well, he's mm. you know he's ticked off like the middle pyramid or whatever the the hierarchy of needs. Um, and so he's you know he's stable and he's got good community around him and stuff like that. But it's just it goes beyond it to the point that it's this fucking obsession that requires him to have a deeper understanding of the world at large and to understand like the flows of of uh you know goods and like like fish and you know like just just a fucking really deep understanding of the world and how it works in order to craft the perfect piece of sushi which is to me fascinating it's like through just studying one very small thing you can understand the world at large you know you you like can get there by just trying to fucking hit this impossible task you'll never be able to make the perfect piece of sushi it's like a, it's just fucking ridiculous. You, you know, it's a subjective one, but also like you just can't do it. It doesn't exist. But you can try and do it, and by trying and doing it, you're like also just dramatically furthering everyone in in your pursuit to create the perfect piece of sushi. And it's like that to me is just so fucking admirable. It's you know, and mm. and it's a panacea. You know, you you can't do heroin when you're trying to make the perfect piece of sushi, or maybe you can't. You have to limit it. You have to do it sensibly. So. 
Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like that. I, I I personally see that sort of stuff as like the ultimate panacea. Is just like a mission like that. That's you know like you're never going to achieve it. That's like Ray Dalio's entire mission to like fully understand and predict markets or whatever is so far-reaching that he's never going to hit it. But it'll it'll keep you endlessly busy. And as long as you're in, mm. it, it'll be a nightmare for you to hit it. You it would actually fucking kill you to hit it. It would be horrible. Um, if you hit it, you'd, <laughs> yeah, imagine you'd be yeah, your of, life would disintegrate. You should be terrified of it, but you should also constantly mm. strive for it. I, I think mm. um, it's kind of like those like uh, endless thought experiments where it's like you know you just ask why over and over and over again. Um, yeah, yeah. The yeah. whole point isn't to figure out the fucking answer; it's just to give you something to do while you run down the clock. <laughs> I think um, these like almost like obsessive pursuit of an impossible goal. Is interesting as well because I think it's it's noble in like an altruistic sense because even if it's not your intention you typically tend to create like a vortex or a slipstream like benefits or productivity for people around you as well yeah. I think when when someone is like uniquely committed or focused on pursuing like excellence in whichever field they choose like they tend to generate like a lot of a lot of benefits for their their family or friends or community whether those are like intangible or or physical mm. oh um, totally yeah yeah um we reward people like with that but, but they don't even need our our meager rewards they're they're of a like higher pleasure that material wants can't satisfy and i i don't mm. think there's much out there now um especially off the back of the pod that we did with rod uh that you can't really have in your hands in some form or another like shit's very cheap now it's, it's very cheap to experience most things uh naval ravikant had the best line on that that i've heard which is like you just you can't there's no netflix for rich people you know yeah 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 exactly there's not so and it, you know abstract what that means there's, there's just basically nothing out there for rich people that they get that you don't get you know like good foods reasonably cheap you could get it made by someone else if you want but you know that's where the price goes up but you're not actually having different food like if i go to a fine fucking restaurant and order salmon i'm still eating fucking salmon you know i can still buy it and make it myself it's just it's the same shit so it's like yeah well, what, what does all this stuff get you nothing at all it's, it gets um, you the resources to build shit and to go further and, and yeah <laughs> speaking it. of netflix for rich people it is interesting how attainable most things are like I was driving maybe a couple of months ago with Francisca somewhere and we were just like kind of, I guess, just having like a brainstorming kind of conversation. And um, we're just like, what are some things that we would like to do? Because like, I think it's easy in life to just forget that you're not doing new things or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I think most people satisfy the need to try new things by traveling. But obviously in the pandemic, that's very difficult. And we were like, well, like we should swim with whales. That's pretty and sick. I was, yeah, and I was like, oh, well, yeah, okay, like, let's do that. So we, like, Googled swimming with whales in Queensland or whatever, and, you know, it's just wildly obtainable. It's it's not that yes. expensive. It's within driving distance. And, like, I know that swimming with whales is not the same as, like, taking a recreational trip to Mars, but it's still, like, a relatively obscure uh, task or thing to do that most people would think mm -hmm. you can't do but you fucking can and all you need to do is just decide to yeah <laughs> um, pretty much and yeah. and yeah like the, you're right about the cost of most things being unusually low or accessible um yeah there's a huge amount of abundance in this world like just insane you know it's just mm -hmm. it's and, and it's uh a lot of it's not worth having 
I think. You know, like novelty's great, but on your third, fourth, fifth try of something, it just starts to become routine and habit. Um, Ask a math addict. Yeah, well, this is a massive deviation from what I was actually going to bring up, but it's it's fascinating. I, I hope that answers some of the question. Uh, that yeah, of course. Had. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the summary of that is uh, slightly depressing is how I feel about it all. Um, I'm obviously like, would rather be in this position than the position I was in before, but um, only because I have my time and that's all I ever wanted was, you know, time. And that's pretty yeah, much yeah. it. Um, and I had my time before, I just had a fucking date on it. Whereas now I guess there's no end date, which is cool. But now I have to do something with my time or I'm just going to fucking, um, I don't know, melt. Oh, and protect away. your time. Yeah, pretty much. That you, there must, you must feel a burden. What do you mean? To... Like the idea that with uh, with great power become comes great responsibility. Oh no, I'm mainly um, just worried about dicking around there and just being like, oh, there's the last sixty years gone. You know, I didn't fucking do much with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Because um, yeah. I, I I had made the assumption that you would feel um, an added pressure to protect what you have. Ah, uh, yeah, that's already there. But I mean, I I like realistically, like we were chatting before this and moving into kind of just like set and forget shit and just like not worry about it ever again because i mm. can't be fucked constantly analyzing interactive brokers trends mm. and shit like that like it's such a fucking waste of time you know it'd be so much nicer to just kind of leave stuff and um not try and figure out why the fucking market's dumping another 20 fucking percent you know so yeah well yeah. i mean i think we know why we just don't know what the catalyst is yeah, exactly. You know? exactly. So um, this chap that's a heroin addict, mm -hmm. uh, we or I think I brought up Carl Hart's pro-drug argument recently. And I, I can't imagine um, many people would be stoked on that sort of argument in the face of what is like brutal addiction for some people. That is like, you know, it makes a farce of the struggles that they go through to have someone suggest, well, maybe... You just don't understand addiction <laughs> mm. um which which puts me in a weird position because i'm kind of like strongly pro civic liberty i think you know i would rather have the opportunity to do something um than not do it personally and how does that play into the fact that some people really are fucked by these substances but also would this just be alcohol if you can get heroin or insert other substance here like is it is it is, would be yeah, well, in which case, I think. Yeah, yeah. I I think that um, I think that the hmm, how to put it, the threshold or the boundary that sorry, I'm I can't phrase this properly. I think the the, the interesting thing about the prohibition of drugs and narcotics that's actually the same thing. I just used two words to describe yeah. one thing. Good job, Hayden. Is is interesting because the problem is that people are hurting. It's not that they're taking drugs mm -hmm. like. So if, if every drug is illegal and we allow alcohol and gambling, people become alcoholics and gambling addicts. Like, the problem is we don't sufficiently care for each other. Mm. Uh, you know, we don't, we don't offer the amount of help that so, some people need. Yeah. So, like, just because uh, one in ten people, and I'm pulling this figure out of my ass, but I, let's say one in ten people who try heroin become... Uh, they develop a crippling addiction and they hurt themselves and the people around them. Like like um, a lot of people have said, like the, the problem is not with the drug, but it's with your relationship with the drug. Mm. And when, when you're hurting, 
that's when you will abuse a drug. The drug will take a hold of you, and that's because it's giving you something that society or other people haven't. Yeah, like a They're like comfort. Yeah, or yeah. hope. So yeah. I, I think we we've built a world where most people feel as though they have nowhere to turn when they feel hopeless, and we we push a um, a nice narrative of it's okay to ask for help. Mental illness is normal, etc. But the the government funding and the budgets don't reflect that message at all. That's a fucking marketing campaign. Mm. It's PR, you know. Um, so anyway, the reality is that when most people are hurting and most people need help, there's nowhere in the world they can go to get it. Yeah. So I was chatting to um, my ex the other night. Uh, mm-hmm. and a couple of nights ago, maybe it's last week. Um, and this is completely irrelevant who I was talking to, but just for context. Um, and she was telling me about the outcomes of her class has been really bad in terms of getting a job from university. Uh, you know, and just like how do you assess- know? Sorry. <laughs> I said, what do you know? Yeah. Well, and, and just like how <laughs> fucking ripped off a lot of people were, because, you know, a large part of, um, anybody's relationship with me is me complaining about uh the system and and it's like how unfair it is and how um much i believe that people are getting sold narratives that are bullshit um one of which is like university is leading so many people to bag hold which is you know if you're going there to learn fine that's that's like all good but if you're going there to as an investment it's like gamestop at this point you know which is actually doing surprisingly well so that's just like more likely a better example is maybe like my arc funds which is (laughs) becoming um dramatically less worth well um Um, i might i might quickly interrupt and um offer an analogy that uh that peter Thiel made in a podcast that i recently listened to with him um and I, i thought it was really accurate and he was talking about, um, I, I mentioned this to you in another conversation, but that he thinks that the last um, market bubble we have left ultimately is education. And he was talking about how, um, I can't remember the exact numbers now, but he was talking about the inflation in the price of education since like the 1970s. And obviously it, anyone listening will know that it's, it's through the roof. Um, and he was saying that not only is the price inflating though, but the the inherent value of it is changing while the price inflates um and education used to be an investment in your future so like you were at least getting a return on your investment 99 percent of the time you know you would you would pay money to an institution which would equip you with skills to make more money down the line so it was like a fair transaction Mm. um and as time passed um college education became more like an insurance policy and it was like you pay money to buy insurance that will mean you can't fall through the cracks, essentially. So it's like, if I go out into the world and shit hits the fan, I have this degree so I can go and get a job as uh, an accountant or as a uh, pharmacist or Mm. whatever. It's like, I have a degree, I'm qualified for this thing, so that means that I'll be able to do that if I need to. Um, But now, like, that's not even the case because, like, your your insurance is worthless. So it's like... Your education has become buying a lottery ticket to win insurance. Yeah, <laughs> which exactly. is crazy. Like the odds are just increasingly stacked against you, and like the next like level of abstraction, I don't even know what would be. Uh, yeah. Well, the, and the reason I brought that up is like I am super suspicious about um, how much mental health issues, air quotes, 
uh, are disorders and how much of them are actually just the fucking shitty living environment and bad expectations that people have. If you spend four years of your life, right, like busting ass and working towards all these things that you're told are going to be really good for you, um, whatever that happens to be, if it's education or if it's, you know, relationship or if it's wealth building or something like that. And you get to the end of it and you realize how fucking hollow and empty it all is because once you've achieved that, there's nowhere to go. Fuck, man. I'd be so fucking miserable. I have been fucking miserable doing that. Like, brutally miserable. Definitely qualified for multiple disorders throughout my life. You know, 100%. Was in therapy for long enough that they're essentially like, yeah, okay, you can fall very nicely under this uh, box that the DSM puts out saying that you're, like, mentally unwell. Um, and I'm talking about, like, societal malaise as opposed to schizophrenia. Um, you know, yeah, like anxiety, yeah, depression issues, stuff like that. Like, and the whole thing just seems like <laughs> like nobody wants to talk about the fact that life sucks for a lot of people, but everybody wants to talk about rising rates of depression and anxiety and, um, mm -hmm. you know, like, the what do we do? Why, why are people so unhappy? And it's just like, man, have you seen what it's like? Even if you are a winner in the fucking university jackpot, you have to go to you know sit around with a bunch of fucking other people that have become automatons you know and then after 20 years of hard work you get fired for expressing your opinion yeah exactly and then you go to like complain about it to someone and they say oh yeah yeah no you've got depression you're chemically fucking wired wrong like um, fuck off are you serious That's this whole shit man is like fucking you know the movie speed where they're like on the cruise ship and it has to like keep accelerating otherwise shit goes pear-shaped and the cruise ship blows up or whatever yeah i feel like our our world or our society or our model is all packed onto this cruise ship and we all know that there's something horribly wrong because we're like you know uh we're speeding up and accelerating more and more as we drive towards this fucking cliff or a brick wall that we're all just like, nah, it's fine. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. we got to just keep going, like double down. And some we like, we expect that if we remain committed enough or something like that as a, as a group or as mm. a society, that things will just work themselves out. But it's mm. absolutely not the fucking case. No, um, fuck no. Um, no it's, I... <laughs> but what bothers me is that I think it's so easy to diagnose. Like, I think it's really... If you think about it enough, it, it's obvious enough to be able to identify what the problem is, but to try and identify solutions are, is a whole new fucking kettle of fish, man. Yeah, true. It, it is easy to diagnose, but I also feel like it's easy to make simplifications and just be like, well, you're suffering from depression and you're not living a fucking nightmare, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> like that's a very easy thing to do to just be like well you're probably depressed like what the fuck mm. does that even mean the dsm changes all the fucking time man they're constantly bringing out new shit as well like you know you can be an internet addict now next year you'll yeah be like new disorders all the time mlp addict you know after that you can be a jerk off addict you know <laughs> like yeah yeah like let's just let's just keep going why not just throw them out there spam them you know like it's let's uh but if you're overweight, you're healthy. You know, it's just like fucking insanity. What they're um, throwing out now is, I don't know, it's just, <laughs> this might not be winning me any friends. I, I'm not denying like the existence of um, mental health issues. I, I just think they're, they're spammed uh, much more liberally than they should be. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Or, or I think what the 
maybe what the case is is that I'm of the opinion that most people who experience mental health issues have some sort of um, what's the word? Some sort of biological predisposition. Like I think that it's it's possible and likely to be born with uh, the capacity for some sort of catalyst to come along in your life and then trigger some sort of mental disorder. And I think that these this preponderance of new disorders or labels or whatever we're, we're calling them are a reflection of the new ways that society can just inflict pain upon you. So like, <laughs> so like every, every decade, society becomes more complex and it develops new cracks or chasms that people can fall into and get stuck in. And then we need a term for it. Yeah. So, but the, 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 the underlying predisposition to mental illness or deep pain, I think is the same one. I think most of these come from the same root, which is like in most of us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It just, it just depends where we get tripped up, what we get called. Yeah, pretty much. I, I just wish there was like a little more honesty, like, or, you know, they at least just bring out a fucking, um, catch-all thing that's just like, yeah, your life's shit. You know, like that's just, that's, that's what we're diagnosing you with, like a shitty life. You know, you, you're not doing too well. <laughs> uh there's some great treatments out there that involve like radically changing what you do but at the moment it's mm. you and, and just not call because the moment you sort of slap the fucking mental health uh issue on it you're like being like well you're not fitting very in very well with society you know you're a bad job uh you're maybe like chemically fucked or some shit but you are depressed which means that most people are not because you're an abnormality that's what fucks yeah. me off because I'm and, just like, my experience now, I'm like, no, like, I don't want 90% of fucking most people's existences. And I don't think they do either, you know? Yeah. What, what I think is interesting about it as well is that if we, if we assume that there is this part of all of us that has the, that is the seed of depression or mental illness, I think it becomes a pretty handy label to slap on somebody in order to protect whichever, like, whichever uh, institutional end that person serves. So, so say if I am a, uh, so let's say I've graduated university, which I have, and um, mm. I have spent the better part of a year in the doldrums trying to find uh, meaningful work that leverages my qualifications, uh, which I have, mm. and I've failed so far to do that. Um, and if I was to go to a, a psychologist or a therapist or whoever, be like, you know, this is my problem, this is my situation. By diagnosing you, then they separate the problem from the causes that got you there, right? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, it, it's a way to, to separate, uh, separate the cause and effect and protect that institution which you ultimately serve. Mm. And it, it's like a, a weird... Um, oh, fuck, I see where you're going there. That's sick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a weird dichotomy there because, like, while science and medicine and psychology as fields claim to be objective they might have this sort of inherent bias in them that favors like maybe like societal structure over human need mm. because those fields are born of societal structure yeah um or yeah that's no i totally get it and that's the thing that's fucking got me like so many times like how much is that even true because it's not like it doesn't exist fundamentally they're 
like a lot of this, uh, you know, oh, you're depressed. It's just a catch-all statement to describe a, a set of symptoms. It doesn't fundamentally, there's not like this thing in nature and you look at it and you're like, yeah, that's definitely depression. It's just, it's the same thing as saying someone's like mm, true. funny, you know, like that doesn't exist either. That's just a descriptor for the way that they behave in a very particular set of circumstances. So if, if you're like trying to create an abstract notion <clears throat> and assume that it's a physical natural thing that it actually fully exists and then use that as a disqualifier for someone's inability to function in a like entirely bullshit construction made by people mm. that's so unfair that's just like the the biggest fucking scam you know yeah do you, do you think that um do you think that depression is mostly thought of as a diagnosis or a descriptor I think it's used as a diagnosis when it should be a descriptor. You know, mm. it's like... Yeah, um, I wonder the same thing. Yeah, I, so I hear a something... lot of people saying, I have depression, or, you know, like, I am... Uh, I am depression. I am... <laughs> 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 Fuck, I wish people... That I, I'd look forward to meeting that person. But, like, yeah. you know, I hear a lot of people using that as a descriptor. Like, they've come down to the nasty case of the... And, you know, there's no shortage of um, memes or <clears throat> shit that you'll see online where people are like, well, you wouldn't treat... A bad case of the flu by just telling people to get over it you know and it's like that's meant to be used as a way to explain that some people have depression whereas again i'm like suspect on well, what are your um <clears throat> like what are you actually describing then you know like it I, I i'm not sure if a lot of people have depression as much as they're like experiencing psychological pain um, you know, or have this like mythical chemical imbalance that everybody likes to fucking uh, talk about. Like, oh, yeah, it's a chemical problem. Mm. Maybe it's functional. Why can't you just feel like shit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I fucking feel, I think it's normal to feel like shit. Uh, assuming that there's this like normal balance of not feeling like shit all the time. <laughs> you know, it's not that I feel like shit all the time, but like, you know, it's very normal to have peaks and troughs and to have like, extended periods of uh depressive hibernation or at least i think it is anyway i don't see any claim to the contrary there i didn't realize that there's this like you know period of history where people just didn't feel like shit at some point during their lives for an extended period of time man i think a lot about how badly i wish that there was some sort of way of knowing or like data about uh mental illness throughout like human history mm. like i would i'm i think i know what the answer is but I would love to know for certain whether or not, you know, we had the same levels of depression in fucking ancient Greece, um, where a lot of people still had shitty lives. Like a lot of people were fucking dirt poor and starving and were slaves. Mm. Um, but I don't know if they would have described their lives as, I don't know, as depressed. Yeah. Um, Was it um, but... Seneca, I think, uh, one of the famous philosophers, um, yeah. talks a lot about that. And it's, I, I love his stuff because he's... Uh, mainly goes into detail about just pain as a um, natural thing in life that happens. But it's not necessarily mm. a bad thing. I don't see why it has to be a bad thing. You know? That's like the Stoic philosophy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he uh, he ended up having to kill himself because of, um, I think he just pissed off his boss or something. Who <laughs> 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 was the Emperor <laughs> Nero. Uh, yeah, that would suck, yeah. Talk about bad days at work. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I, uh, I lost the client. Okay, kill yourself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, I, but 
they talk a lot about it in the stoic philosophy it's just periods mm. of malaise yeah, yeah. or periods of um you know depression or or just not feeling good for a period of time uh winston churchill had like a whole thing about that where people famously described him as you know now it is like oh winston churchill was manic depressive but um i don't know my take is that he has a large appetite for booms and busts uh, yeah well it's interesting to and that's another thing that that intrigues me um actually before i move on i was just going to mention that i um i have meditations by marcus aurelius on my uh, kindle at the moment that i'm like i duck in and out of reading pretty good uh, speaking of stoic philosophy but yeah manic depression and and bipolar disorder really fascinate me because i uh have have known people who have you know or experience or have those conditions mm. um and everybody has been exposed to people in the media who are celebrities or artists or politicians who allegedly experience the same thing like Kirk Bain, Kanye West um, are two prolific examples mm. that spring to mind. And I sometimes wonder if if I might have bipolar disorder or at least experience things that are similar to it. And like it, it comes down to the same thing again about like is it a is it a diagnosis or a descriptor? Because um, when I look at the way and I'm not comparing myself to Kanye West or thinking that I achieve the same things that he does but when i look at like the ebbs and flows of kanye west's life like these insane bursts of like ambition and productivity and creativity and these proclamations like i am god um and then f followed by the the burnout and the depression and the silence like i can easily identify the same patterns in my life where <laughs> i i will have a, a six month run where i will feel like insanely driven pursue a project it may or may not come to a productive end. And then as a result of that, I just need to recuperate, you know, which often involves stepping away from people, reflecting on myself. Um, that self-reflection can often be pretty grim, but I think that is what it is. It's reflection as opposed to uh, mourning, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And, and then eventually you get to the point where you identify the need to be looking forward to something again and the cycle repeats itself. Um, like. Does that and that sounds like fucking manic depression, you know? <laughs> it it sounds like the way that it's described. Yeah, it it, it could be taken either way, right? And and I don't mm. know, like at, at what point do you say, well, this is useful as a diagnosis, or this is just something that I have to be aware of, or I don't know, you know, like maybe this is incredibly functional, but it just doesn't work within these stupid little boxes that people are trying to push people into you know yeah i think that's a huge part of the problem right so yeah. like people are i mean in australia or in new zealand we're considered lucky to be given uh for a full-time worker to be given like five public holidays a year and four weeks of annual leave so you're you know the implication is that it should be perfectly normal and acceptable and achievable for you to work for 48 weeks productively mm. <laughs> without slowing down whereas like a lot of people myself included are far more suited to these like extreme bursts of productivity and motivation um seems... working on like a what's that i was gonna say that seems way more natural though because yeah it does right you didn't grow up um, fucking working 48 hours a week uh, sorry 48 weeks a year 40 hours a week you know mm. that's so unnatural man yeah um and interestingly <laughs> i from some like uh history stuff that i've read in the past 
Um, historically, from the point where we became uh, agriculturalists, and when I say we, I mean human beings, like that's closer to how we actually work to provide ourselves with food. So we would like, um, what's it called, uh, sow the field, mm. wait for it to grow, and then uh, reap the harvest, and then hunker down for the winter or for the next season or however long it was. Mm. Um, and that's typically when people would sit around a fire and maybe write or like come up with songs, um, which are these these things you could ascribe to that reflective period or that kind of meditation or evaluation mm. um, and then rinse and repeat. Yeah. So maybe like productivity should be cyclical. It seems like natural that it would be. It seems incredibly unnatural that it wouldn't be. Like why, why the fuck mm. would it be anything other than cyclical? Why would you want it to be anything other than cyclical? It just doesn't make sense to me. I, it's something's off. I don't like it. You know, like I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't like these little holes, and I don't like the um, boxing into people. I don't like the idea that uh, you're meant to be happy being an automaton and repeating the same task over and over and over again as like a input to some fucking business that you may or may not care about, some industry that you don't may or may not care about, and then to not fit within that means that you're fucking you have a mental aberration that <laughs> yeah, to yeah, me pretty, is fucked like that's pretty dehumanizing oh it's so unfair it's just like how can people even justify that as a legitimate um thing you know it's just like yeah i don't know it's mind-blowing yeah um, there's um on the back of that there's like an interesting sort of thing emerging which you can look at two ways i think with the increasing preponderance of like project-based freelance work, which is mostly done remotely, which, you know, I'm doing some of now. So like on one side or on one hand, rather, you could say like, it's really good because it empowers individuals to work in that cyclical way that we were just talking about. They can work when they want to be productive, work mostly from where they want to be, take more agency and control over your own life. Um, but on the other hand, there's this, and, and I don't know, maybe the way you spin this changes depending on whether you want to be pessimistic or optimistic about it. But you could say that that freelancing or sort of, yeah, for lack of a better word, freelancing and outsourcing of, of projects and labor by companies actually disempowers those people because they're not receiving their benefits like leave, sick days, superannuation, and it's actually there's actually corporate interests behind the outsourcing and freelancing of labor because they're like cost-saving mechanisms for big companies and institutions. Mm. So maybe there's a catch-22 there. What do you think? Oh, there probably is. But, you know, like, I mean, personally, I bailed and I was contracting. I guess I arguably still am contracting, um, even though I'm not. <laughs> but <laughs> I love it way more than I like working in an office because I don't have any fucking performance reviews and people actually treat you with respect. They don't treat you as like a fucking labor input to be slapped around and told what to do. Um, you know, like you don't really have much say when you're an employee. You, you're kind of just this like shitty thing that needs to be fucking sat down well, you're a human resource. Uh, yeah, exactly. As per the label of uh, yeah. most companies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And your time's not your own either. It's mm. like, it's the company's. Um, and you don't, and you can get fired for having opinions that don't, you know, match up with the companies. And, and like all of that stuff fucking sucks. Um, so would I rather have sick days? No, I fucking wouldn't. Like, <laughs> I'd rather take it <laughs> on the chin. Uh, but then again, you know, I'm not, there's a lot of people out there that need 
consistency and need jobs and need like the uh, safety of knowing that if they get sick, they can get paid. And they're in different positions than me. Like, I'm not in that position. I don't have any fucking dependents. I don't have a, mm. I don't have a girlfriend. I don't have fucking anything, you know? So, like, I don't fucking care um, about that shit anyway. Even before everything happened, I didn't care about it. But, I, mm, yeah. I don't know. It, it's, a, it's like, it's a pretty bullshit system anyway because I don't think, you know, you, you should kind of be able to know that you're going to be okay either way um, and not just fall through the cracks. But... Yeah. yeah, that's that's ultimately what it comes down to, right? We're like splitting hairs over which poor solution is the best when really <laughs> the um, the right response would be to at least try to form a society where everybody is looked after and feels empowered by default. Um, well, let's let's start to wrap it up. Um, yeah, oh, I didn't even get thanks for yelling. being. <laughs> Thanks for being patient with us, by the way, listeners. We tried something new um, for this episode. We we convened this morning and realized that neither of us had sufficiently prepared content or research for the episode. So we toyed with the idea of just abandoning it altogether rather than putting out subpar content. Um, and then we actually, we just sort of naturally ended up having this conversation uh, that we weren't planning to record. and. I said, fuck it, let's just record it and see where we go. And here we are uh, an hour and 10 minutes later. So I hope that, you know, it was still useful to people. I, I think that um, we did all right, considering the circumstances. Um, so I was going to say as well, um, we want to talk to uh, a feminist or feminists, plural. There's something happening at the moment, which I think we both find pretty unusual which is that it's a uh, Women's History Month. Oh, I don't even and, know. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Shit, all right. <laughs> so, I mean, why would you know, though? Because it's not, I don't think it's a real thing. Um, yeah. And I, and I don't say that to be mean or being vindictive. I just don't understand it. So I put a call out on Twitter recently um, because I, I'd really like to talk to a, uh, a, a self-described feminist who thinks that they really know their shit um, and try and wrap my head around this and um, understand the, the apparent value of it. So if anyone listening fits that description or knows somebody that does, please get them to get in touch with us. I guess last notes, support us on Patreon if you like the podcast and you want to get our stock picks, Patreon forward slash modern guilt. Five US dollars a month will get you an extra episode as well as our financial models for the stocks that we're researching. Uh, follow us on social media, on Instagram, at ModernGuiltPod, Twitter, Guilt underscore Modern, and I think we're done. Hey, peace. All right, time to record another episode. See you guys.